this week during Passover and all of the talk about Egypt, I keep thinking back to when I was in my 20s, when I spent nearly a month in Egypt, traveling all across Egypt. And I went, I went all the way to the Sahara, to the edge of Libya, where I stayed on an oasis. I went to Cairo, to Luxor, Alexandria, and everything in between. And I became riveted by Egypt and the artifacts. Now, in going to the Cairo Museum, I stayed until it was closing, and I woke up the first thing the next morning to go back. And it took me a while to figure out why I was so insatiable about this Egyptian history and the magnitude of that civilization. It was a civilization that felt bigger than anything I had ever seen in my life. It made Washington, D.C. look cute compared to the monuments that they built. I really, I'd never been riveted in this way in my entire life. And I was trying to figure out what about it captured my attention. Was part of my obsession the fact that it was massive? The fact that the monument still existed? The fact that our tradition teaches that we're the ones who actually built all of this, which for me was hard to believe because I barely can change a light bulb. I always call it a handyman. But the thing that kept hitting me, that struck me so much over those weeks is that as I spent time in Egypt and in Cairo and in Luxor, was that something so massive and huge, a civilization that was built out of stone to last thousands of years, was gone. Not even a fraction of who they were, but just gone. And all that remained was stone, not the civilization. I looked at the carvings and the edifices, and I tried to imagine what the civilizations were like 3,300 years ago. And now it sits dead in the museum, not thriving and changing, but static and finished and a thing of the past. And I think what struck me was that while the most powerful civilization in the world was gone, we, as the Jewish people, were still here. The Jews who were the bottom rung of society, the ultimate other, who were slaves building the stones that would last were a civilization that was not dead. It was a civilization that was not static. It was not something, and it was something actually in the present and it was expanding into the future. And here I was, 3,300 years later, a Jew standing over tombs and monuments of a civilization that was no more. And it led me to wonder, what was the thing? What was the difference between the Egyptians and the Jews that led to this. Now, I want to share a teaching from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs of Blessed Memory. Rabbi Sachs, he asked the same question about why did the Jewish people survive and the Egyptians did not? What was different? Because it's unlikely for us still to exist. Sachs points out that the earliest text ever found that references the people of Israel is found in the Merneptah Stele, which is a piece of rock carved by the Pharaoh following Ramses following the, the Pharaoh of the Exodus. And it can be found in that Cairo museum that I was in. And on that rock, it says that the people of Israel are no more. The people of Israel are laid to waste. The first text that we find outside of the Bible about us is our obituary. 
It says we're gone. But you see, something happened at that exact moment in time that led one civilization to be gone and one group to survive and thrive. Now, while Ramses was building massive monuments from stone and put all of his energy into building physical structures so that their civilization would last thousands of years, Moses, he gives a speech the night before the Exodus to lay the foundation for us to survive for thousands of years. Not with a focus on building buildings, but building something much more enduring. In Exodus 12, Moses gives the instruction for remembering Passover, and then he repeats himself not once, but three times, and he says, when your children ask you. Now, the slaves are thinking about freedom. Now, they may be thinking about the land of Israel, but none of that is on Moses' mind. Rabbi Sachs, he points out that while Jews are thinking about freedom, Moses is thinking about education. They're thinking about the now. He is thinking about the future. The future and survival, it's not found in buildings, but it's actually found in the generations that come after us. Education and development of the mind and the soul is the key to a civilization's survival. Think about what becomes our main focus in Judaism. It's not the temple in Jerusalem. It's the rabbis. Now, what does rabbi mean? Rabbi means teacher. When we talk about Moses, we say Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our teacher. Our community is endeavoring on the greatest campaign in 100 years. We are aiming to raise $97 million, and it's not to build a building. It's to create a space to fill the souls and the minds. From the outset, we said that we were driven by the fundamental mission of creating a space for our children and then our children's children, which many of us will never know, but because of our efforts, we'll have a place to learn, to be seen, to be heard, to laugh, and to cry in. You see, this was not a new idea. We got this from Moshe Rabbeinu. If you're trying to ensure your survival of your people, Focus all of your building by creating a space for the development of the mind and the soul. But what do you teach? I mean, once you've built this place, what do you teach once you have everyone gathered? Because once you've built your Beit Midrash, once you've built your house of study for the next generation, that's the question you have to ask. And this was not lost on Moses, that this is the logical next question. And he had an answer. Teach your children that you were slaves in Egypt, that you know what it's like to be a slave and never treat anyone the way that you were treated when you were foreign and you were others. That is what we've been doing all week during Pesach. We've been reliving and acting out that experience of tasting the food that those slaves tasted because they are not a them, they're an us. We were the slaves. And so in each generation, as we are confronted with this task, we're then asked and prodded and poked to examine our own lives, our own community, and our own worlds. And then ask if we are living up to this teaching by remembering that we were the other. So when we see acts of hate against Asians, 
every single Jew, every white Jew, every black Jew, every brown Jew, and every Asian Jews are obligated to stand up because what has been etched in all of our souls since Moses stood before us that night, before the Exodus, was a reminder of who we were, and therefore, who we are, and what our job in the world is. When we look at our own Jewish community, it becomes our fundamental task to make sure that DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's not a focus of ours, but it's actually who we are. Now, being a white man, it means it's incumbent upon me to ask and to hear stories from others who are not me, because it's only through learning and then engaging that we can build our community closer to how it ought to be. And so on this Pesach, I implore all of you to ask yourself if you're heeding the guidance from Moshe Rabbeinu, from Moses, our teacher, to not only teach, but to learn from all of those around you. Because it's only when that, our, when that happens that our civilization will continue to grow and change and thrive and look different than it did 50 years ago different than it did 300 years ago, and different than it did as we stood in rags in front of Moses, imagining what life would be like outside of Egypt. And he reminded us to teach our children. Now, those slaves, they never could have imagined what was coming in the next 3,300 years. But what they could do is create a space that accepted and embraced everyone especially to make sure that the slave, that the other, would never feel that way around us because we know what it's like to be a slave in Egypt. Chag Sameach.